Hello, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi, and we're going to talk about the third chapter of Daniel today. Zellin, how are you? Doing great, Willie. The weather out here is wonderfully spring. I mean, everything is green. The trees are starting to wake up. Uh, the days have been, you know, nice, like 60, 70 degrees, although it still gets pretty cold at night. I mean, I think this coming, like towards the end of this week, I think it's supposed to freeze again during the night. So we're not totally out of frost danger yet. But at any rate, I'm really enjoying the weather, which is maybe unusual for me since I usually like it to be colder, but it is what it is. I can enjoy the spring too. <laughs> well, it's all mosquitoes and ticks here, my friend. Oh, there's plenty of ticks. Yeah. <laughs> Consistent 90s here this week, humidity, storms, all that stuff. A long, a long growing season, but you know, I'll still be sweating in September. <laughs> and that's fine. We're bringing, we're, we're going to bring back the linen suits. I'm going to be able to wear them, you know, unironically as one does. And sitting, uh, on, your, sitting on your porch. <laughs> right. Possible string tie. Unsure right now. Uh, it, it's going to be pretty good. I, I mean, I've, I've already got a spot picked on the church grounds in front of the office where I'll park a lawn chair. It'll be good. You got to get, remember, word fitly rules, 20 to 30 minutes of direct sunlight a day, my brothers. You need it. You need it. Which is not always easy to do, especially when you live in, you know, overcast, windy territory yeah, I mean, like I do. But. You're, you're naturally cheerful. Imagine what you'd be like if you had, like, daylight. <laughs> It, it might be positively frightening. Right. So I'm just going to sit down here just, you know, uh, perpetually uh, moist, I guess you'd say. Just just humid, you know, like 100% humidity. And then you're going to be frozen until September. So it's going to be great. It's awesome. It's a good time. <laughs> I do enjoy the hot weather, though, I have to say. Uh, the fire ants, I don't. But Yes, yeah, I kind of like being up in the, this part of the world where bugs, like the weird bugs, are not really a problem for us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't have to, like, open various things and find a strange-looking beetle of some kind, you know, because the bugs just die. That's all we and do. Then, it's, yeah. And then uh, right now, uh, there's, like, an epidemic of turtles crossing the street, so i got to be careful <laughs> not to hit the turtles. I've never seen more dead armadillos in my life. It's kind of cool. I like it. Huh. Yeah, Turtles, there's though. more armadillos in central Arkansas than what I thought there would be. They had to migrate up from Texas, as many things do. Not not just of the animal variety is what you're telling me. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, so we're going to do another Bible study here. Daniel 3, very important text, very famous text. I also want to talk a little bit about some other stuff we have coming up. Uh, we, we've got kind of a collection of biographical episodes in the works you're probably going to hear about Bishop J.C. Ryle. I think we're going to R.J. Rushdooney post for one of the episodes. Whitfield is in the works. Zoan, I'm still hoping we can do that Father Coughlin episode and still stay on the airwaves. <laughs> but um, that's that's my favorite. Pre- um, press F for Father Coughlin, though. Yeah, it's like I, I don't I don't believe in reincarnation, but explain Father Coughlin and explain me. I don't know, but um, <laughs> here we are. So. Some really fun and interesting episodes coming up, and uh, I'm sure some Jimmies will get rustled, and it'll be all kinds of all kinds of fun. But uh, there's there's some very interesting and profitable things to learn about these about these gentlemen, which is why we want to talk about them. And you know, so hopefully, to... even if all we do is draw out one good thing, which I'm I'm not saying that's the only thing from them, that will still be profitable. That's why we're going to be looking at them. Absolutely, and of course, you know, maybe still Samuel Kellogg one day. 
Yeah. Are they ready for it, though? Are they ready for Kellogg posting? <laughs> and by the way, I said Samuel Kellogg. There's no such thing. It's John, it's, it's, it's John Harvey Kellogg. It's what I was trying to say. Forgive me. John Harvey and his brother, you know. My goodness, Mia culpa. Sorry, John Harvey. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so Daniel chapter 3. That's the famous text. It's the... Uh, the, the golden image and the fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, once again, will come very close to making a good confession. It's going to be a lesson on idolatry, a lesson uh, for us in trying times, uh, a very clear reference that Christ is with us, if you're reading a good translation. <laughs> and right. so, uh, yeah, this is a very interesting text. It's kind of one of these things I love talking about because such a, f- a very famous story. It's what I call the Sunday school stories. The ones that everybody seems to know. Sure. You know, the, there's a flannel graph somewhere with this story on it. And so it's good to, to revisit those, to dig through them. And uh, that's what we're doing here as we as we walk through Daniel. So, Zelwyn, do you want to kick things off for us? Yeah. So we're, we're looking at chapter three. But to really understand chapter three, I think we have to keep in mind what was happening in chapter two, you know, since chapters are kind of artificial anyway. But the point being that, you know, Daniel's dream in chapter two, where he sees the great statue, which we talked about in the previous episode, and also that the head of this statue was a was made of gold. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar very clearly that this represents his kingdom. And that sets us up for what's happening now in chapter three, because Nebuchadnezzar has more or less, I would almost say either misunderstood what Daniel was trying to tell him, or he's just kind of running away with it in his pride. I mean, you can, yeah, you can take it whichever way you want to go with it, Willie, but, but he makes an image of gold, a great statue entirely of gold, I think as a testament to his own greatness, really, you know, I am, I am the gold headed one. (laughs) This is my kingdom. And I, and I want you to, to worship it for what it is. Right. Yeah, and he's going to, I mean, this is in later chapters, he's going to give way to mania and be turned over to that. And so he's afflicted with megalomania here. So this idol is going to be uh, erected. Now, the Hebrew youths are going to be involved again. Uh, They were some of the ones who would not eat the king's food. They're going to grow in wisdom and stature, and they're once again going to be tested, and they're going to be tried. And it's going to be a very arduous trial. But we'll get into that. Do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, what he's going to do here? Well, and I think I think it's important to see this statue as a kind of representation of his own power, of his own uh, self-conceit. You know, he sees himself as being a great figure. Like you said, he's going to have to be humbled in later in later chapters. And I really do think that this is representative of the the kind of arrogance, the kind of self-aggrandizing uh, attitude that we see even in the governments of the, of the world today, you know, that you, they are, you give them even a, a small inkling of what, you know, what they could be, and they just run with it. You know, you have to listen to us, you have to do what we say, you have to worship us, that kind of thing. So yeah. I... Really, really, this image is a testament to to governmental overreach, if you want to put it in those terms. <laughs> right. Listen to us. We will keep you safe. We know what is best. All you have to do is pledge allegiance to us. Right. 
Right. Well, and I think especially because, you know, we're, we're coming into a time period where uh, things are getting very difficult, like the, the economically things are kind of tanking right now. And I, and I fully believe that we're entering into a period where the government is going to present itself as a kind of way out of many of these problems right. as it's done in the past before. You know, just do what we tell you to do and everything will be fine. That kind of thing. Do what we tell you to do, you know, live in the pod, that kind of thing. And and everything will be great. <laughs> Never mind your conscience. Never mind anything like that. Never mind who your allegiance must be, uh, to whom your allegiance must be. Uh, you will You will do as we say, for we are your guardians and your protectors. Now, and who knows what other deceptions are coming. You know, I get, I feel like vindication's coming every time they start talking about UFOs and they're doing it again. Right. By the way. <laughs> and our, and our viewers and our listen and our downloads of that episode go up every time they do that. And, and so signs and deceptions are coming and a great uh, temptation toward fear. And I would add a temptation toward temporal security is going to come. Mm-hmm. And so as, perhaps food becomes scarce or gasoline becomes prohibitively expensive. The temptation to cry out for an earthly savior is going to be all the more. And okay. I do believe that it is the government's responsibility to fix these things in large part. Um, I do believe they have a duty to make sure that their citizens are taken care of and safe over and against (laughs) hypothetically citizens in Eastern Europe or non-citizens in Eastern Europe, you know, Hypothetically. Hypothetically. I mean, that that's, you know, Romans 13, right? To punish wickedness and to laud the good, as it were. And we've, we've forgotten that. There's a, there's a fine line between the government doing its job and the government becoming your savior. Right. Well, and I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is obviously presenting himself as a savior. Yeah, it's, right? it's just, it's much more honest in the Babylonian era. <laughs> Well, especially because, like, uh, when we hear, you know, you're commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of all of these various kinds of instruments, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So, I mean, he's even framing it in religious terms. Yeah, I mean, well, literally, whoever does not fall down and worship the image, you know, this is going to happen. You must do this. If you you don't, we're going to cast you into a burning, fiery furnace. But, I mean, how would we see this kind of, let's call it quasi-religious language, even in our world today, Willie? I mean, because this, this sort of thing has not gone out, right? I know I know you're talking about how the government has legitimate responsibility, and we should keep that in mind. But it has certainly overstepped its boundaries in many cases and is demanding a kind of worship, right? But what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's worship via fealty. They, they, they believe that they have sovereignty over everything. Not only your body, but your conscience as well. Once you, once they have said, here are thoughts you may not utter, here are opinions you may not have, especially with regard to, you know, the things of God and I'll right. say natural law for lack of a better word. They would look at you and say, you must do what we say, even though it's against plain reason and against what has clearly been revealed by God. They would look at you and say, you are wrong. You must mentally assent to this. And then you must live your life as if these things are, are okay, as if as if God's creation isn't what it is, as if he didn't make them male and female, as if uh, you can sin against conscience, for example. 
right. uh, those sorts of things. Any kind of what you end up with is a secular orthodoxy that you're supposed to pledge to quia. Right. <laughs> but quia what? You know, uh, not because it's in accord with the scriptures, because it's in accord with the ruler of this world who is to be judged. And understand, when I say secular orthodoxy, understand there are principalities above all this who are anything but secular. They are right. very much spiritual and religious at, at the very at the very top of all this. Same as the old Aztec gods, let the reader understand. And so, you know, uh, that would be kind of the examples I would use. How about you, Zillow? Well, I mean, I, I think you're, you, you kind of hit many of the nails on the head there. And I think especially when they present themselves in quasi-religious terms, like you said, a kind of savior, like, you know, the government is coming to deliver you from your problems, that they're going to be your all in all, that sort of thing. I really do think that that's where this this idea comes in. And especially with the the thoughts, which they claim to have province, you know, a, a rule over as well. And that that I think is the the most telling of this this modern kind of falling down and worshiping the golden image. Yeah, and who knows if it's going to give way to to visible image worship? If Revelation is true, <laughs> uh, it seems like it will. And and you do see a version of this in Revelation with the talking image and things like that, right? But I think it's especially important to note the penalties for failing to comply with this. Right. Uh, being thrown into a burning, fiery furnace? Yeah. But this isn't just like, hey, I want to be like a god to you, take it or leave it kind of a thing. There <laughs> yeah. is compulsion here, right? <laughs> yeah, I am a god to you, and you will do this. Right. Or or you will suffer the consequences. You will do this, or we won't let you travel. You will do this, or we won't let you buy groceries. <laughs> you will think this way, or you won't be able to... Sign up for this or whatever, which get is a job. Kind of, yeah, yeah. You won't be able to get a job, and then we're going to turn around and say you're. It's your fault that that there's no freedom of speech or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, this this insistence on total loyalty, total fealty to the government as a kind of god, as one who provide. I mean, this. This, I think, is is where the, the test itself comes. Well, yeah, and, and not just as one who provides. I mean, the media apparatus, which is just another arm of the government at this point, they're the official spokesman, and it, it, it amazes me that people still look at it as if it's reliable. Right. I mean, with no discernment at all, and how easy it is to gin the public up from one thing to the other. I mean, this is why Christians are called to discernment and to wisdom. I mean, even ones who were doggedly, you know, very anti-lockdown or whatever are all of a sudden like, yeah, now World War III, let's do that. And yeah. and the needle kind of goes back and forth, you know, how quickly even our churches get wrapped up in the secular orthodoxy, uh, which is contrary to what God has revealed in both nature and in the scriptures. And yet there's this, there's this almost... I don't know what you want to call it, kind of platonic view of the nature of man and the differences between the way men are made right? and, and things like that uh, that we're supposed to embrace. Uh, every secular outrage, every kind of radicalized outrage that we're supposed to, to latch onto and hate our brother over, 
yet there is no room that these people have for true biblical righteous anger. Right. And th- I mean, they're, they're calling evil good essentially. Right. And, uh, and, and putting a Christian mask on it. And that's why it's, it's very deceptive. Would that a leader, a governor of a state would just be like, here's a big golden image of me bow down and worship. That would be much easier. That'd be much easier for us to go. <laughs> Folks don't do that. Right. But we, we forget, I mean, just how much time, you know, we devote to, well, what are they telling me to do now? Do I need to do it? You know, what's the us? What's the best thing to do? And we forget that we owe much more time to God in prayer and being in the word of God, looking for discernment. Right. You know, than the other way around. So, well, I find it especially telling how quickly this orthodoxy shifts and how quickly our conversation shifts with it you know Mm -hmm. i mean think of how i mean can we even remember the issues that we were talking about before like the roe v wade leak yeah i mean it just shifts and now all of our attention is over here and it's like we totally forget everything else that is happening i think that in itself is telling about how i mean the the kind of demands that the government is is putting upon us and also upon our thoughts that it can yeah. sh- influence us in this way. Well, and we're being led to believe that there's this new future. You know, I mean, I mean, it's been, less and less people are buying into this lie, but but that there's going to be a new bright future. We're three more iPhones away. You know, we're <laughs> four more fake meats away from from paradise. And they go, oh, but those old days were so bad. I mean, folks, if you only knew how much better things could be, right. I mean, we're not supposed to look back like we're looking back at Sodom, but there there was a better way. There was a better way to live, a healthier way to live. Somewhere between uh, getting rid of corn syrup and reducing screen time is is, is a very healthy answer. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, and that and that the the new golden image, as it were, insists on these things because of the the kind of influences which they yield over, which they have over us. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's yeah. that's why they, it gets promoted like it does. Right. And you see it even more to even question the wisdom of the age gets at the very least a how dare you just let people enjoy things, Willie, yeah. <laughs> or we'll destroy your life. And that and that ends up being the threat, you know, uh, that, that's and that's absolutely what it comes. And, it, and it's subtly the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar and his image is slowly creeping into the church, if not there in many churches. We've got to be on the watch for that. But we're on our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. This is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. We're talking Daniel chapter 3. Uh, before the break, we were discussing um, rulers of the world and what they demand of people. And, you know, that's one of these things that has, um, <clears throat> excuse me, demonstrated itself in various different ways throughout all of the different empires. And yet the Christian throughout all of this, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Christians. <laughs> they are, um, you know, faced with temptations and also faced with, again, the question of discernment. <laughs> what can and can I do? And there are some things that are just non-negotiable for a Christian. They don't become, you know, idolatry does not become morally permissible in any context. Right. I mean, somebody's going to come by and go, well, the Midrash says or something, and, you know, then we got to ban him from the server. But <laughs> there's always somebody like that. Well, what well, what if? But I, you shall have no other gods before me. Hard to get around that one. So... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be examples of what it means to resist. So let's let's talk a bit about that. Sure. And I think it's very telling that these three, who we met earlier in the book of Daniel, are brought to King Nebuchadnezzar because of the accusations of, as it says, certain Chaldeans, mm-hmm. the, uh, the lackeys of Nebuchadnezzar, those who are playing along with it kind of a thing. They're yeah. the ones who actually say, hey, these guys aren't doing what they're supposed to. They're not <laughs> right. They're, they're not getting into the pod. They're not doing what, what the government's telling us to do. And so we need to bring this up to, to the authorities. And unfortunately, I think this is going to happen more often than we care to admit, right? Yeah. I mean, this is such a light thing to hurl at them, but they're tattletales. They're rabble rousers. They're busybodies. And, and, and truthfully, probably jealous of the Hebrew youths. Sure. Which we get that later in the text, you know, especially regarding Daniel. So, yeah, they're going to come to, to the king and basically say, King, you said this. You've got to do it. And then so we have verse 313. Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commands that they be brought. So that they would not bow to the image and worship the image enrages Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Uh, he's furious at them. You know, there is there is a a type of perceived righteous indignation even on the side of the devil. Well, especially because, you know, I said this was supposed to happen. You're not doing it, so you're going to suffer the judgment for it. Because am I not worthy of such worship? Am I not worthy of this kind of attention and adoration? I mean, yeah, it is it is a kind of false piety, I mean, for the devil, because, you know, he's claiming something that doesn't properly belong to him. But he does think that it is his right. And of course, for that reason, he flies into a rage. Remember, every time they hear this music play, they are to bow down and worship the image. So who knows how often this was? I mean, it could have happened any number of times, I suppose. Yeah. At, at least once is all we can say for sure. <laughs> right. Depends on, you know, if you remember to pay the band or not. Of course, does the band also have to bow down? I'm not sure how this works. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, the, I don't know the liturgical rubrics of... Babylonian idol worship, but somebody's done the work somewhere. Well, and especially now, Nebuchadnezzar in his rage basically says, you aren't doing this, okay, and who is the God who is going to deliver you out of my hands? Yeah. Now imagine imagine saying that, being in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. We're going to throw you in this furnace, and who, who is the God who is going to help you? 
no, you know, essentially nobody can deliver you. No God is going to be able to save you from this. Right. And and our boys say, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer this. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not... But if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So now that's interesting. They are resigned to the providence of the Lord. Now, most of you listening know that they're going to be delivered. More on how they're delivered probably in segment three. But in the face of temptation to commit great sin, to sin against the one true God or face death, they didn't actually just say, oh, we'll be delivered. It's going to be fine. They said that God would deliver us, and if not, we're still not going to do this. And that's um, a very important thing that the Christian needs to learn. So let's take this up into Acts, where you have apostles miraculously freed from prison. Okay, so they're kind of spared a punishment, and yet eventually they still die a martyr's death. That God may well miraculously deliver you, or he may not, but the Lord is still good. And that's what we're called to do. You know, the Christian is promised, you know, these, like the strength of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes that's simply strength to endure, which is not insignificant. Many Christians have been called to uh, shed their blood for the faith. And they were not miraculously delivered. But that does not mean that God's hand isn't there and that God is not working good through that. I mean, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? And so... So the lesson here, it really isn't God's going to pull you out of every fiery furnace. I mean, that's we we, can, we preach it that way, and there's a little bit of truth in it because God ultimately does deliver us from death. In, in a true sense, all Christians will be liberated from death at the resurrection. And so with that being said, I mean, fully liberated, yeah, paradise and all that uh, in between. But I don't know why I'm getting technical here. You all know this. But in the meantime, you will, you may be called to suffer for the faith. And that suffering might look like losing your job. That suffering may just look like social ostracism, you know, ostracism, eh, you know, social, uh, what am I trying to say here? Man, I can't get my words together. You're going to be ostracized. Right. Um, that could be bad. But you could also be called to go in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, stoked up hotter than it needs to be. <laughs> so hot that it kills the men who are carrying you into it. Well, um, maybe... Maybe to really emphasize this too, especially for our time, I do find it, we'll, we'll say telling again. That's, I guess that's my word of, of this episode is telling. Mm-hmm. That too often, I think, we are unwilling to endure such suffering, even for much smaller things, right? Because mm-hmm. how quickly do we, or at least, you know, we see it around us, do we, you know, turn away from something and say, oh, anything, anything, as long as I don't have to do this, or as long as I don't have to do this, because I don't want to be this, you know, and, and it sometimes it's entirely trivial, right? I do think that we are, as a nation, or maybe as a church, however you want to look at this, afraid of this kind of suffering, even in very minor ways, which is why if Neb- the Nebuchadnezzars of our age decide to demand this kind of worship in much more explicit ways, especially with trouble that may be coming down the road, I wonder how well we're going to be able to resist it. 
maybe I'm just being the negative Nancy here, Willie, but <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's being negative to despair and there's just uh, a sober assessment of the <laughs> reading the tea leaves. And so, but that's where we are. I mean, we are in a rebuilding phase <laughs> as far as Christianity and we're always like, oh, American Christianity. No, folks, it's looking bad across the board if you really look at it. Now, there are pockets where the church is suffering great persecution, and there are pockets where the church is very strong, and sometimes there's an overlap there. But remember, like all the theological stuff that you all complain about, and rightly so, we exported to those places that you think are the burgeoning centers for orthodoxy. So they're just a few years behind or maybe even a little bit ahead of our heresies. So just, just wait, <laughs> you know, we, we do, we forget that we, we, we exported revivalism and Pentecostalism and all of that. That's what's growing by leaps and bounds. Right. Uh, that's what's sort of, that's the leaven. And we forget that there's no kind of reverse magic dirt going on that, Oh, just cause it's over there. It's somehow holier. You know, it's a, it's a question of people and it's a question of what they're believing and receiving. And, you know, in, in parts of the world, kind of a prosperity-minded Christianity is going through, a Christianity that wants to avoid uh, any kind of temporal setback, any kind of illness, any kind of financial losses. Uh, our security is just found in, in our portfolios and in, and in the lengthening of our earthly life through whatever means. Uh, all of these things will fade away. You can't take them with you. Health will fail. Money will fail. It's failing right now. And, and so, you know, what do we do? And this is all about learning to be a Christian in, in the time that you're in. And every Christian is going to have to, to do that because that's where God has put you and where God has raised you up. And so we are, we are Christians in a time of great spiritual decline. And our calling, we were pastors, right, is to make faithful disciples in the midst of that. And people are hungry for that. I think they're hungry for a, a real Christianity, a Christianity that you can reach out and feel, a Christianity that actually does what the Bible says it can. I'm going to use a word you'll probably wince at a little bit, but a, but a sacramental faith, Zelwyn. It just gets overused. So. It gets overused. Yeah, it's like you say the word too many times and, and we've lost it. Uh <laughs> No, but we need that. We need that sacramental reality. We need a true and present Christ. We need true means of grace that are forgiving sins, that are strengthening faith, binding us together, that are that it's preparing us for spiritual warfare, preparing us to be uh, soldiers out there, and and preparing us to um, to conquer. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's out. And the Holy Spirit converts even tyrants. I do feel like I have to kind of be the uh, the law to your gospel tonight, though, Willie. Okay, okay. But, well, and I and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean I also think of like those who try to surreptitiously bow down before the golden image, and what I mean is like those who would say, "If I just do this, or you know, this little thing." then they'll leave me alone. Then they'll ignore me kind of a thing. And this is partly why I bring brought up like the Chaldeans at the beginning of this, those who kind of brought them forward. Cause I sometimes wonder if we don't see this happening among our own ranks. Right. Oh Let's yeah, absolutely. Bring, bring, bring forward the, the wrong thing to, you know, the, to, to society or whatever, kind of bring them out, sacrifice them 
And then that way they'll leave us alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Then we can continue on in peace kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I do wonder how much of this trying to be like the world is really about reaching the world and more about temporal security again, or wanting to be accepted by the world. We don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Now it depends on who's writing that history. Yeah. And and they're absolutely, I mean, we've seen it, we see it over and over. I mean, we, you know, people who have would have been once been perfectly acceptable theological viewpoints are now being, uh, ramrodded is, is hateful and and nobody ever does anything about um about the other side because that's just not how we're done we we don't circle the wagons we don't protect our own and we want to punch right right because that's easier to do for some reason yeah, but yeah it might be like you said for that that kind of worldly uh uh security just just leave us alone see we're really like you we're really not that different see we're look not at, as bad as these guys, yeah. so you know. Look at you the can... <laughs> look at the clothes I'm wearing. We look just the same. Want to see my campaign donations, fellow American? <laughs> well, and I think and I think that's important to bring out because, like I said, there there is more than one way to fall down before the golden image, mm-hmm. and I think that's really something that we do need to emphasize, especially in this episode. That it's not just the wholesale, you know, I'm totally on board with the government that means that I'm falling down. Because I'm pretty sure that even among the Babylonians, there were probably some who were doing it just because, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to lose my head kind of a thing. To do it out of fear, to do it out of this desire to just be left alone or to be accepted or whatever it may be. That would, would also be a reason why many fall down before the golden image. Mm-hmm. Their their worship is half-hearted, but they're just trying to save their skins. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for their part, say, no, we want none of this because we serve the living God, and we will not bow down before this image in any way. It's not like yeah. they're saying, hey, let's throw Daniel under the bus. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a little bit like the Donatist controversy, right? The emperor is uh, <laughs> persecuting the church, and so the Donatist priests fall away. Remember, the whole debate there is about, are their sacraments still valid? Right. And the church says yes. And, and nowadays, we've almost extrapolated uh, the point of it to say, well, they fell away in times of persecution, but it doesn't matter. And that's not the point of that controversy. They were still excommunicated. <laughs> I mean, it was still a problem that they fell. I mean, yeah. you can't get around that. Yeah, it was just a question of, are their sacraments valid? That's it. Uh, as far as we're concerned, there's some other stuff going on immediately in the church. But yeah, I mean, that temptation to apostasy has always been there and it always creeps up where there is the threat of earthly security. That is the, that is the great temptation that's common to all men. It's what makes men worry. Will I have enough for tomorrow? Will I be able to do this? And Jesus of course anticipates this when he's like, don't worry about those things. Consider the lilies of the field uh, and, and so on. He, he anticipates this. He knows the human condition. He knows what our, what our doubts are, and he knows what our sins are. And he's saying, hey, the Lord has provided for you and will provide for you. So I'm, I keep gospeling this. Sorry. No, no. We, we need both. And I, I think it's also important to say that with the idea of, you know, following after the Lord, you know, there is this point 
that we are aiming at, that this is what we are aiming towards. And as, you know, as Joshua or as Moses says, you know, we don't want to turn to the right or to the left. We don't want to go either way, drawn away by worldly concerns, worldly desires. And mm-hmm. so we have to be single-minded in our focus. And in this case, that means following after God, even when that means minor social you know, problems, minor social discomfort, for example. Or in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the threat of our very lives. We can't say that, you know, we're going to stand firm for the big thing and then kind of fall away for the little thing. You know, we need to stand firm and follow after God, not wavering to the right or to the left, but following him single mindedly. And, you know, with that whole that uh, with our whole heart. Yeah, absolutely. So so we're coming up on the end of the segment. Our boys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Okay, the Lord will deliver us, or He won't. Either way, we're not going to bow down. Uh, they're going to make this uh, this heroic stand. It's going to be one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. So we're going to go ahead and take our next break, and we'll be right back with a word fitly spoken after this. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. We're talking about the third chapter of Daniel. Well, if you're still with us, if you haven't reported Zellwin and myself to whatever speech body it is years from now when you're listening to this, <laughs> we're going to go on into the, the climax of uh, this wonderful, wonderful historical account. So, Zellwin, what's going to happen next? Well, I mean, like you say, it is the, the the heart of the of the chapter and kind of the thing that everyone remembers, and that is that Nebuchadnezzar casts the three young men into the furnace, burning hotter than it was usually doing. So hot, in fact, that it killed the men who were supposed to throw them in. And then they see a fourth man walking among them in the midst of the fire, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this extremely hot fire are unhurt, and they don't even smell like smoke. So mm-hmm. it is a wonderful deliverance that God has given to them and brings them forth unharmed, and as a result, Nebuchadnezzar uh, promotes them. <laughs> yeah. he, he gives them a position of high authority in Babylon. But that's that's kind of the nutshell. You know, That's kind of looking at it in the broad strokes. But where do we want to focus on first, Willie? Well, I know we want to get to who, who that fourth fourth man is, but... Let's uh, let's talk about how hot the furnace is for a second. Okay, it's pretty hot. You know, it's very clear. Like this is hot. They shouldn't be uh, able to live. People are dying just being near it. Um, right. It's also a, really a picture of how angry Nebuchadnezzar is. Like, keep stoking this furnace up. Right. You know, this is this is how 
inflamed he has become. He's not a rational creature anymore. He's an animal. He's a brute. He's vicious. And he just wants them incinerated. But God shows up. (laughs) I think from a historical point, if I'm not mistaken, although, again, this is something we can certainly debate, the the furnace itself would have been more like a pit that they Mm -hmm. were thrown into, like to go down into it kind of a thing. Because normally when we see pictures of it, you know, it's something like a like a big oven or something like that. And I mean, they could have been that, too. But the only reason I I bring that up is because, you know, this this pit or whatever it was heated up so hot. I mean, this would have been hot enough probably even to wreck the furnace. Yeah. And yeah, when you're seeing a pit, I mean, you're still thinking like a a, a rock or a brick walled pit. Right. that's, That's holding the fire. Yeah. Right. Right. But the, the point, and I think the reason why I think that's especially the case is like to cast them into it, you know, to like to throw them down kind of a yeah. thing. See, that's the kind of the idea that I'm getting. But the point is, is that they're thrown in as they are bound up. And because of the, the that great heat, it kills the men who are supposed to throw them, which again mm-hmm. shows just how, like you said, just how angry Nebuchadnezzar really is. Right. But is that something that we would shy from? What, uh, what do you mean? Oh, you mean actually f- from being thrown into a furnace? Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> look, the king's order is urgent and the furnace overheated. So it's like, ah, okay. Like you're, like you're, you're walking into a very bad situation here. Uh, I think anyone in the natural state would quake in fear before that. Um, not a good way to go. Although it was pretty quick for those other guys. It's not a good way. Um, it's not, who knows how quick it would be, but nobody wants to be burned alive. Right. Well, now what kind of fiery furnaces would you say we see in our, in our age? I keep bringing this back to our time because we have to. So, you know, I don't think the government's going to be stoking literal fires to punish dissenters, but I don't know. Stranger things have happened, I suppose, but. Right. Not the most efficient way to get rid of things, but anyway. (laughs) The, uh, <laughs> um, well, okay, because uh, we have to spiritualize it a little bit then. It's not anything like the actual fiery furnace, but I, I don't think we can discount, especially coming out of this great time of isolation, that the temptation that people who were starved for human contact have. And and then they're they're going to say, well, if you keep acting like a Christian, if you keep doing this, you can't be around us anymore. I think people are particularly prone to to that now. And and I hate to go back to the speech policing thing, but that, that's the, and it sounds so petty. You know, you're just going to be cut off from the social group that's no good for you anyway. So it's not even a perfect one. But, uh, you know, what about something like do this, you're going to lose your job. That's a fiery furnace. You know, do this or we're taking your family away from you. That's a fiery furnace. <clears throat> we forget uh, just what a uh, a battle it was uh, for Christians to be able to believe what they want, even in this country, and to uh, educate their children the way they wanted. Uh, educational freedom is a very, very recent thing in most states. Homeschool laws, for example. Right. Uh, very recent battles that were fought, which is actually why we're going to talk about Rush Dune a bit. Uh, we can't take those things for granted. And yet we're kind of coming back into this whole idea that, no, actually the state owns you. And the state can do with you what you want and can compel you to do what you want. Or we will punish you. 
But what were some fiery furnaces that you had in mind? Well, I mean, I think those are the kind of things that most people would encounter. I I do think that the, we, we may come to a point where, you know, if especially if things continue to get worse and, you know, the government kind of holds itself out as, you know, this golden statue savior kind of a thing that <laughs> there may be a, a there may come a point where they would say, like, you have to do this or you won't be able to partake in it. Right. Yeah. We won't give you the aid that you need unless you do this or unless you say this, that kind of thing. I think that sort of that sort of thing is also very much a fiery furnace. Yeah. I mean, this, but this is going to be related to, to Daniel's temptation, you know, uh, not temptation, but Daniel's trial of being thrown to the lions and why he gets there. This is going to be uh, kind of the Wade and Found Wanting discussion. This is really going to come up a lot just throughout the next few chapters of Daniel. Um, what do you do in the face of a trial, whatever it looks like? Is it a fiery furnace? Is it a lion's den? What 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 is this here? And 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 how we deal with it? Uh, anything, any trial can then, in that sense, be a fiery furnace. Right. It just might not be as hot, or it could be more hot. Who knows? And. You know that's where we that's where we need to be. Do you think that we need to really spend all this time focusing on spiritual preparation, or or are we just exaggerating things a bit? I think we haven't spent enough time on spiritual preparation, which is why I think we are very much in the position that the church is in now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have become accustomed to Babylon, and now that Babylon is starting to put the pressure on. Now that the fires are starting to get stoked, as it were, we're not, I don't think we're ready. We don't know how to deal with it. Well, you know, we've also focused so much on the novelty and the newsletter praise, the dopamine rush that comes with focusing on the church far off. And then we never took a step back and, and checked on what was going happen, what was happening to the church of our neighbors. You know, what's right. happening to our own church here, our local churches, our local congregations. So we thought that because our churches in America were prospering and maybe they were growing, that that necessarily meant they were healthy. And so now what has happened is, as we have kind of seen the handwriting on the wall, hey, there we go, uh, (laughs) of what's happening, we said, oh, but look what all the good we're doing over there. That's okay. My gospel's a passing rain. Please go look at these pictures of people in huts. See, we're okay. (laughs) We're going to be fine. And not that that work isn't important. And it is important, but preaching the gospel to our neighbors, to our countrymen, to our people is important. And everybody knows this. Every Christian knows this and they say that. But when we say, well, what's it look like? It's like, oh, we're not going to support you in that. That's a little too radical. Christian lives, thinking differently. Being weird. Look, I play, we all play on the same soccer team. We're really not that different. I just do something different one Sunday a quarter. <laughs> and and that is that is not the faith. We're making strides. I do think that that men are waking up whether it's too late. That's that's in that's in the Lord's hands. And we're going to trust him wherever we're at in the furnace. And if we burn up, blessed be the name of the Lord. And if he delivers us, please, uh then blessed be the name of the Lord. He is still the Lord God, and he is still good. If God is glorified in the judgment of our nation, 
glory to God. If God is glorified in the salvation of our nation, glory to God. But my call and your call, Zelwyn, is to preach that gospel. It is to baptize. It is to bind and loose sins. It is to be the watchman on the wall. And if our pastors aren't doing that, if you just want to be an executive, an administrator, get out of the way. Because the world has enough middle management and upper management. You know, this is this is Holy Ghost language we're talking about here. And we, we've had enough bureaucrats. We've had enough pastors who just wanted to who just wanted to be desk jockeys. We don't need that. Our Lord and Savior came and he got his hands dirty. We need to get our hands dirty. And then not care about what the world thinks, but care about the world in this way, that the world would hear the gospel and be saved. The world outside of you would. If you really think, if you really are in love with the world, you don't want the world to perish. That's the only way you can love the world. cannot be in love with the world, but you love the people for whom Christ died. And so that at the heart of it is what it is what it's about. Now, Christ is always uh, rescuing. Christ is saving. The gospel is being preached. The word is still working, and there God is still God is not done with our country. The churches are still standing. The churches are there. the The time may be short, but we have to work while it is yet day before the night comes when no man can work. And the one who has commissioned us and the one who has called us is Jesus Christ. And speaking of Jesus Christ, let's talk about who that is in the middle of that furnace, Ellen. Well, you've kind of buried the lead there, but... (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yes, one like, as Nebuchadnezzar says, a son of the gods, or I should say son of God. Let's not... (laughs) Let's not you know avoid yeah. it too much here. It legitimately could be translated either way, right? But we know how it should be translated. Is what right. I'm saying. Oh yeah, but, King James got it right here. <laughs> but in this case, yes, the fourth man walking in the midst of the fire is Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ in the midst of their suffering. Christ in the midst of the furnace. Christ delivering his people from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, just like he. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God that, you know, is going to be able to deliver you out of my hand? His name's Jesus. He's right here in the middle. Yeah, and it's going to be clear, you know, we're going to come back to Nebuchadnezzar as we go further into the book. And he's he's he, he really is a tragic figure. He comes across worse in this chapter than he does anywhere else. Right. And then he's just going to go crazy and be humbled. But here, here Christ is in the midst of the fiery furnace. And Jesus Christ is in the midst of, and this is going to sound hokey, but it's true, and I'll preach it this way, and I won't even blush. But Christ is there as, as you are in your fiery furnaces. Uh, so you don't have to worry. The living Christ dwells in and with you. His Holy Spirit is with you. God the Father calls you son. And so he will take care of you. He has promised to be there. Our desire as Christians is to trust his will no matter what it looks like. Uh, that That is truly the way of the cross, actually bearing crosses. Right. You know, not just lip service to some kind of doctrine there. Well, and I think, and especially to really put that into concrete terms, you know, when we're looking at our various kinds of furnaces, and, you know, whatever they might be, you know, we need to trust in Christ that he is going to deliver us, you know, even while we're in the midst of it. You know, if we're, if we're dealing with, like let's say some sort of financial hardship because of what we believe. Mm-hmm. We should not give in to pressure and say, oh, well, I guess I'll just you know, do what they want me to do so that they'll leave me alone. 
No, do the right thing. You know, do the right here. Follow after Christ. Serve him only, and he will deliver you in his good time. Even if that means you have to do without for a time, God will take care of you. Like, let's say, for example, again, I know I'm I'm kind of running into hyperbole today, but that's just the way it is. Uh, let's say, for example, the government says you have to, you know, if you want our help, you have to do this kind of a thing. If that involves, you know, going turning away from Christ, we cannot do it no matter what that entails. But God will provide for his people so that, you know, even if we don't get into the pod, God will raise something up to take care of us. He's not going to abandon us or, you know, leave us destitute. If yeah. he, if that means fellow Christians will come to our aid, that will be how he helps us. Right. If that means, you know, that we find some other means, that's how he helps us. If you have to pick if you have to pick grain on the Sabbath, right? He'll still help us because he's not going to fail us. He will deliver us from the midst of the fire. Right. It is a scriptural promise. I mean, because it ties directly into Jesus, don't worry about this stuff. God is going to provide. You don't have to just stoop to debased levels uh straining after earthly security. So there we are. There we have it. There's the there's the message now, what happens? There's Christ there in the midst of the fiery furnace. There is the sun, and they walk out, and they don't even smell of smoke. And and there is something uh, very pure about that. Uh, they've been tried by fire, and they've been in the presence of of the sun, and they and they and they come out unblemished. There's your, there's some comfortable typology for you. <laughs> well, it's, it's and I think that they they come out you know, not smelling of the fire, you know, they don't smell like smoke at all. It's as if they'd never been in the furnace at all. Mm -hmm. That is something that we should hold on to. Because yes, the furnace is terrifying in an earthly sense. But even if it means that we're going to be delivered in the end, when Christ returns, we will come out without even a hair on our head being singed. Right. And so now we've got to beat our next horse is, well, how do I cultivate uh, this kind of faith? Well, one, that faith is a gift. We pray for strength. We know that it cannot come from ourselves. I think an understanding and awareness of God that comes through prayer is a necessity. Uh, You've got to be a praying people, a praying church. You've got to be talking to God. Right. And and diligent in worship. All of that that related. Uh, just, Just diligent. And what you do, uh, because this is where God is strengthening us, where God is giving faith, where God is is teaching us and molding us it's through these things. And I think one thing that we should also do, I agree fully with everything you said, Willie, is that we should also prepare ourselves and be aware of what is happening. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the reason why we get overwhelmed by even little tiny furnaces like these little piddly things that shouldn't even bother us at all is because we haven't even considered them. And these things catch us off guard Mm. that we, we aren't even thinking of the possibility of, you know, what would happen if kind of a thing. And I'm not saying that in an anxious sort of way, like, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, but I'm saying like, you know, to realize the, the times, to read the signs of the times, to see what is happening and to prepare ourselves by means of prayer, by means of the word, by means of these things, 
so that when these things do happen, we will be ready for them. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of training for, <laughs> I, I guess you say training for suffering. I don't know how else yeah. to put it. Yeah. Well, training for the fight, for the battle. Right. You know, so what would happen if the government were to do this, for example? Well, then we'd say, okay, we're ready for it because this is what Christ has said. You know, so we're not just caught up in the news cycle, always changing our opinions. And But see, that, that might be the caution, too, because we spend an inordinate amount of time talking about my big government. But right. the persecution may well come at a local level first. Right. It may come from your local church, depending on on where you're at. So, and that's what we're kind of least likely to expect, you know. Well, I'm not going to be persecuted by you know, you know, Sheriff Dabney over here. He's my third cousin, <laughs> or something. And then it then it happens, right? So we need to be kind of ready for that because the the local trials are typically what you you come up with first. Uh, trials in your own family, crosses you have to bear that way. Uh, your own personal struggles against your own sins. Your own indwelling nature, you know, the battle begins there too, and these are crosses of their own, those thorns in the flesh. So let the let the Lord keep your house swept clean, I suppose. Yeah, and 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 really the emphasis being to just be aware of what's mm-hmm. happening. Be alert. Be, be alert. Be awake. Yeah. I know awake language is abused a lot these days, but I think there's a lot to it. Yeah, because Jesus says, "Stay awake." Well, all right, Zellin, any final words before we wrap up this episode? No, I think I think we've driven home the, the point here, at least for Chapter 3. We're going to be looking forward to more of the other famous stories of Daniel, especially as we go through the book. But I really do think the book as a whole has a lot to say about our present situation. And I think for that reason, we, we do well to continue to pay attention to it. Very well. Thank you, Zellin. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. God love you, and God bless.